purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Welcome to Episode 74 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. By now you know me. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you. Hey, this is the last episode of 2018. And we're releasing on an amended schedule. We normally release on Tuesdays, but because Christmas and New Year's are falling on Tuesday, we're releasing on Wednesdays, this week and next. So if you're listening today, that means it's Boxing Day. And for some of you in the U.S., you're trying to figure out what Boxing Day may be. But for our listeners in the U.K., Canada, South Africa, and Australia, all of which are in our top six or seven countries of listeners, Let me say, happy Boxing Day to you. And if you don't know what it is, look it up. It's a great tradition. So we're doing something different. We're wrapping up the year with me sharing, walking you through some of the most influential and inspirational books I've read this year. So if you're looking for a read, or maybe a listen if you're an audible type person, during the holiday break, maybe one of these will appeal to you. You know, I love books and I'm always working my way through at least one, usually two or three books at a time. And so I'm going to talk to you about, I think, 10 of those today. But before I do that, let me tell you about these books, how they're categorized for this conversation. And let me give you a little bit of a warning. You know, I realize we all have a lens through which we see the world and through which we experience the world. As Anais Nin said, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. And I realize the same thing applies to when I'm reading a book or listening to someone speak. There's all of these things going on in my life and in my head that create a filter for how I see or hear or process things. So for me, when I think about these books, I'm going to share with you what influenced and impacted me. And I recognize you could read them and have something totally jump out at you or be the big takeaway for you or the big ideas. And as I do this, I'm going to talk through a couple of the big ideas or key takeaways that I encountered in each of these books. Now, if you were to ask me, hey, Kevin, what are you reading? I'll tell you what I'm reading. But if you were to ask me, Kevin, what do you think I should be reading now? Well, you're going to generate a question for me. I'm going to start asking you, well, tell me, is there something specific you're wanting to experience or explore or learn right now? So, you know, these books just happen to be the books that I read this year. So why these books? Some of them found me, truly. I'll tell some of those stories. Some of them I went looking for intentionally, and some of them just happened to be the next book by one of my favorite authors. And so I'm always looking for those. But when I look at my work and how I categorize these books, I see a few themes. And I look at this on a flip chart in my office that's been there for weeks now as I've been working on stuff, looking over it now. I have this big overarching theme that says transformation, and then under it is purpose, culture, and leadership. If you're 
a regular listener, you know that I believe purpose is transformative. So all of these themes interconnect. And when I work with businesses, we're working around purpose. We're intersecting that with culture and then leading in ways that are congruent to their purpose, their values, their culture. So I see these books fitting in those themes of purpose, culture, leadership, and then there's this other category. So here are the books that I'm going to talk about. Under the purpose umbrella, we're going to talk about leading from purpose, the power of meaning, and how will you measure your life, and then story-driven. Four books there. Under culture and change, I'm just going to talk about one. I read several, but I really want to talk about the culture code. Under leadership, there are three books I'm going to feature. Chief Joy Officer, The Hospitable Leader, and Dare to Lead. And then in this other category are three books that have just been fun reads and really impactful in my thinking in life. And that's The Abundance Loop, Deep Listening, and Multipliers. So let's just jump in and get started. As I said, the first book I want to talk about is Nick Craig's Leading from Purpose. Now, Nick and I had a conversation about this book and the backstory to the book in episode 56 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. So if you want to go back and listen into that conversation, I invite you to do it. It was a really fun conversation. Nick and I are allies. We do similar work, but we do it differently but both advocate purpose. And we have a similar approach to how we suggest you discover purpose. Now, let me say something that Nick and I both agree on, is that sometimes you find purpose and sometimes purpose finds you. I love the way Nick defines purpose. Purpose is the unique gift you bring to the world that only you can bring the way you bring it. So you have skills, talents, and abilities that others may have similar skills, talents, and abilities. But when you combine your skill, talent, and ability with your unique DNA, your personality, plus your perspective, and the journey you've traveled in life, the contribution you make is unique. Now, in a company, there may be five people, there may be 50 people that do your job. But if you were to leave, there would be something uniquely missed about you that's different from those others. And that gets into your purpose. So Nick looks at their three primary ways that he has seen helpful to people discovering purpose. And I agree that the number one is magical moments of childhood. Looking back at your childhood journey and looking, where was it that you just found great joy? What were you enjoying most? And what did you just love spending endless amounts of time doing? And where would you just, you know, go in your imagination or in your free time? Number two, challenging experiences. And I love this. I call them crucible moments. I believe we've all had defining moments in life. And as we've gone through these challenging experiences, they shape us. They've shaped you. And you find purpose in that journey. And then the third is just your lifelong passions. What are those things that started in childhood but linger with you today? The love that lingers in your heart. So those are three areas. And then the other thing that I really love in Nick's book is he shares several people's stories and their purpose statements. And the way 
people craft their purpose statement after working with Nick and his crew is totally different. It doesn't sound like a corporate mission statement. I've seen so many people's purpose statements that were crafted in that really a tight constraint, almost like a purpose statement generator. My purpose is fill in a blank here. And But Nick, they have this very unique way. So here's one to be the whitewater raft guide who gets you safely to the other side. I love that. That's a great way, and it's a very unique way to state your purpose. Another one that's shared in the book comes from Isan in Pakistan, and his purpose is to improve the life of the common man. You know, those kind of things. So what's your unique purpose statement, and how do you find it? And then Nick also talks about purpose being the creator of meaning. That at its core, purpose is a meaning machine. And this goes back to what I was talking about in the introduction, that we don't see life as it is. We see it as we are. And purpose is one of those filters. It's the meaning maker of our journey. And it's the filter through which we process the events of life and make sense of them. And I'm going to tell you, I'll just tell you right now, you're going to hear this idea of sense-making and storytelling kind of thread through this conversation in several of the books I'm talking about. I love this statement from Nick in his book. Purpose is most valuable to us when there are no right answers, just choices for which time alone will give us the clarity to choose wisely. I don't know about you, but I can look at several things in my life where there wasn't an obvious choice. Some choices seemed better, more appropriate, but you just have to make a decision. And purpose, that's why I call it navigating north. Purpose is that north star that keeps me focused and keeps me moving in the right direction. And then the final thought from Nick about his book is, and it's why the book is called Leading from Purpose. Nick believes that all of us have this room of purpose and we have a key, these clues that help us unlock and enter the room of purpose, and that the goal for you and the goal for me, and the realization is that you lead and live best when you are living and leading from your life of purpose. So let's find that life of purpose as we move into 2019. Find that life of purpose and occupy it as much as you can and as fully as you can. So if there's something about that book that speaks to you, I'd encourage you to read the book, or listen to the podcast as well on that. The second book on the purpose list is The Power of Meaning by Emily Esfahani-Smith. Now, The Power of Meaning was introduced to me by my good friend, Christy Kern, and she had been reading the book as we were doing the Extraordinary Experiment Project earlier in the spring of this year, and that that some Through some conversations, I just kept hearing her say things, and it intrigued me to go and get the book and begin to read it. And I've invited Emily to join us on the Higher Purpose podcast. She hasn't accepted yet, but hopefully she will in 2019. So the big takeaway, it's similar to what Viktor Frankl shared in his classic book, Man's Search for Meaning. And that's that happiness is better as a byproduct than the main search. Emily put it, there's a difference between a happy life and a meaningful life. And she kind of draws the philosophical origins of each, that the happy life is, you may know it as hedonism or hedonia is how it was started by the ancients. That was the pursuit of pleasure. And it literally means feeling good. So there are some people who seek the pursuit of pleasure 
the pursuit of happiness, and what they find is that happiness can be fleeting. Then there's this second approach. The meaningful life comes out of Aristotle, eudaimonia, this being good and doing good. Beautiful concepts that I won't unpack fully here, but I encourage you to do some. There's some great videos. I'll find one of those and link to the show notes that helps you understand the philosophical underpinnings of eudaimonia. People who are living meaningful lives have satisfied three conditions. Number one, they evaluate their lives as significant and worthwhile as part of something bigger, what I would call transcendence. Secondly, they believe their lives make sense. And this is what Viktor Frankl talked about, you know, man's search for meaning. Meaning brings purpose to your suffering. And then three, They feel their lives are driven by a sense of purpose. A couple of other things that Emily writes about when she's writing about this section of the book, she talks about these people often live humble lives and that many of them have struggled. Many of us, let's just say, have struggled in our pursuit of meaning. Meaning wasn't always easy to find, and many of us have been on a long-term search for it. And I love this, and this is just something from my teenage years. I can look back and say I've always desired to make the world a better place, and that's what Emily talks about. Their primary goal, these people, their primary goal was making the world better for others. And then when she gets into the core of the book, there are really four pillars of meaning. And I love this because, again, you're going to hear belonging. That's the first pillar. That comes out a couple of times in these books. Different books talk about belonging, purpose, storytelling. I already told you you'd hear that again. And then transcendence. And research has shown that a sense of belonging is the most important driver of meaning. Folks, we all want to belong and feel connected to something, and usually something bigger than us. Emily points out that now, that the time in which you and I are living is characterized increasingly as an age of isolation. And it's so weird because we have the opportunity to be more connected through the use of technology or through the availability of technology, but the way technology has been used creates more isolation. People are in their bubbles. Even you see families at dinner together, and each is in their own little bubble with their device. So it's more critical now than ever to actively seek out social groups and work hard to build close relationships because many uh, traditional forms of community are dissolving. Gosh, and this goes back through the years. The book Bowling Alone started talking about this, you know, the demise of so many of the social capital structures of our lifetimes. You've heard me say it. Purpose thrives in community, but starves in isolation. Well, according to Emily, so do people. So one thing I want to just, you know, a little side note here is if you're not part of a connected community where you interact with other people who understand the pursuit of purpose and are seeking to live a life of meaning, I really want to encourage you to make that a priority as you enter 2019. One way you can do that is joining us at livehigherpurpose.com. That's a, a link that leads you to the Facebook group for the Higher Purpose community. Back to Emily. Four pillars, belonging. Second one was purpose. 
And I love the point when Emily starts talking about you don't believe that purpose must be big to have a big impact. You know what I'm talking about here. Some people, you know, they think purpose must be ending world hunger, creating world peace, eliminating nuclear threat or weapons around the world. That Those are the things that are noble of purpose. And you don't feel your purpose is really important because, gosh, you just want to be a great mom or dad, husband or wife, a good teacher, the best teacher you can be, creating a more cheerful environment in your office, or even, as Emily says, making a giraffe's life more pleasant as a zookeeper. Whatever it is, it has value because it has value to you. It has meaning to you. It doesn't have to be grandiose to be grand. The third, storytelling. And when Emily goes into this, storytelling is not just telling stories of the past or of other cultures or from books, but storytelling are the stories we tell ourselves to make sense of the world and our place in the world. Back to Anais Nin, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are and as we experience it. So there's a storytelling mechanism going on in your mind about the stories of your life and the events of life today. And then the fourth pillar, you know, a topic that I love discussing. You hear me talk about it frequently here on the Higher Purpose podcast, and that's transcendence. There has to be something or someone bigger than you or you end up living a very small life, bigger than me as well, or I end up living a very small life. So number three, let's move to the next book in the purpose category. How will you measure your life by Clay Christensen? I'm trying to remember how I stumbled on this book. I saw something about it. The title intrigued me. I'm a fan of Clay Christensen. I've read several of his books. And as I started reading this one, I discovered this unexpected benefit, and that's what I want to kind of highlight out of this book. It was an introduction to emergent strategy, and this is kind of just a little side point of his book, but for me, it was one of the biggest things I experienced out of his book. I've been very familiar with deliberate strategy, which is the Michael Porter of Harvard, the approach to strategy that sees a predictable pattern and path. You anticipate a series of events And you see how you as an individual or how your company or department can seize those opportunities. And so that's the type of approach that many of us have experienced to strategy in organizations. Many of us have adopted that to our personal life planning or goal setting. Now, I have to tell you, as good as that sounds, how I've experienced life has been a lot of frustration. It wasn't deliberate. I have set deliberate plans for those deliberate plans to not turn out as I had anticipated. And it's caused a lot of frustration, grief, guilt, even shame, which those are things I'll talk about when we get down to Brene Brown, but about goal setting and life planning. So as I was reading How Will You Measure Your Life, I was introduced to Professor Henry Mintzberg and this concept of emergent strategy. Emergent strategy is the view that strategy emerges over time. Now, you may set it as deliberate, but as you go out in your living life, it emerges over time as intentions collide with and accommodate a constantly changing reality. 
Now, maybe you've heard the term VUCA world, that we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. You know, as the complexity has increased, I've seen this need for emergent strategy to be even greater, that most businesses cannot predict fully or faithfully what's going to happen over the next period of time, 12, 24, 36 months. So it was this idea of emergent strategy and Clay Christensen making the point that strategy almost always emerges from a combination of deliberate and unanticipated opportunities. So this emergent approach has been helpful to me. Now, here's one of the big ideas. So in the book, Clay Christensen talks about reunions of his graduate school cohort and how things changed at five years, 10 years, 20-year reunions, and that some of these were quite significant. One of their classmates, a quite famous person, went down and went to prison for their involvement with Enron. No one in grad school would have ever imagined that would have happened. So Clay gets into this, how will you measure your life? And here's one of the biggest ideas that it stuck with me, that 100% of the time is easier than 98% is how Clay puts it. In other words, many people end up in a bad place, not because of a big leap, but because of the slippery slope. So here's a quote from the book. The first step down the path is taken with a small decision. You justify all the small decisions that lead up to the big one. Then you get to the big one and it doesn't seem so enormous anymore. You don't realize the road you're on until you look up and see you've arrived at a destination you would have once considered unthinkable. Hey, that is a wake-up call, and it's a great reminder that if you have life principles and values and those are how you say you're going to live your life, stick with them 100% of the time. It's that you know 1% or 2% when you say, hey, nobody's looking, nobody's going to know, what's the big deal? That might be the start to a slippery slope. And then before we leave Clay Christensen and how you measure your life, there's a keen insight on purpose as it relates to companies. And I just want to share it because it's so keen. I remember at the time I read the book that I posted this in the Higher Purpose community to share it with the group. If an organization has a clear and compelling purpose, its impact and legacy can be extraordinary. He goes on to say the purpose of the company will serve as a beacon, focusing employees' attention on what really matters, and that purpose will allow the company to outlive any one manager or employee, or as in the case for many of you, the founder. You know, this institutionalizing purpose allows it to be a beacon or a lighthouse illuminating the way for others. The fourth book on purpose is one of my favorites, just favorite authors, Bernadette Jiwa. You can hear this conversation in episode 37 of the podcast. This was Bernadette's sixth book, and this one is about the integration of purpose into business. It's called Story Driven. The subtitle just says so much. You don't have to compete when you know who you are. So Bernadette, as I said, a favorite author of mine, when I first was introduced to her, she had four books out at the time. 
I read and consumed those four books in four days. Not that big of a feat because they're only about 100 page books. And it was about this time of year. So it was in the holidays. And I was just devouring everything she read. Bernadette was with us last year on the Navigating North Summit and had told me she was writing this book. And I said, so when it comes out, we'll do a podcast on it. So that's when we did episode 37. The subtitle, you don't have to compete when you know who you are. That's the big idea that businesses have a story and knowing your story and sharing your story is key to your success and effectiveness as a business. So one of the big ideas is that businesses are either competition-driven, and if you're competition-driven, you're always comparing to see how you measure up and changing who you are based on what your competitor's doing. How do you respond to their competitive challenge? Or businesses are story-driven. And if you're story-driven, you're seeking to become a better version of who you are and authentically expressing your story. And Bernadette just has a way with words. So here's one of those lines. She said, great companies don't try to matter by winning. They win by mattering, connecting your story with your client's story and their journey. One of the nuggets that I just loved builds on this some more. It's hard to figure out how to be great at what you do in only the way you can do it if you're always focusing on what others are doing. And she talks about this idea, and here's a quote from the book that I want to share. The irony is no business ever died from a shortage of attention. Companies and ideas fail because of a lack of resonance with the people they seek to serve. If you're a business owner, you need to give customers a reason to be loyal to your brand rather than a hundred reasons you're better than the competition. Get that. What Bernadette is suggesting, if you just give them one reason, maybe two reasons why you care for them, why they want to be loyal to you, that's way better than a hundred reasons why you're better or different than your competition. Back to her. There is no backdoor to the affinity we all crave with our audience. No amount of attention you can buy will get you to this point. Loyalty is achieved only with resonance. So understanding who you are and who you seek to serve allows you to stand out and be distinctively different in the marketplace. And this applies to you whether you're a big business and she's worked with several or whether you are a solo entrepreneur operation. You're one person. People are going to do business with you because of who you are, what you stand for, and how they connect with you. And then Bernadette also talks about belonging. And here's a line. You'll hear this again when I get down to Brene, but we humans are wired for connection and contribution. We thrive when we have the opportunity to do both. Don't you notice that to be true? you thrive when you are making your authentic contribution to people with whom you are connected. So this is a book I love. I've given dozens of copies of this book away and gave one away just yesterday. It's just that good. So I encourage you to get story driven if you've not read that. So that's the four books on purpose. Now, one book on culture, The Culture Code by Dan Coyle. Dan's one of those that has yet to be a guest on the Higher Purpose podcast. I've invited him. 
And I'm hoping his schedule allows for us to have that conversation in 2019 because he would be a, an awesome guest to have. Now, Dan digs deep in this book, The Culture Code. It's a book about research, and he goes into the research, but more than that, it's a book of story. He goes behind the curtain of some of the groups that you've known of, some you haven't heard of, but they're known for legendary accomplishment and even teamwork that's so fantastic that it's an outlier, and it's just way off the charts compared to the norm. And then he shares the secrets of how they do it and how you, too, can have that kind of amazing culture. Here's a keen insight that I love from Dan. Culture is a set of living relationships working towards a shared goal. It's not something you are. It's something you do. So you live culture every day in your organization. So there are three big ideas. Number one, safety is essential. And I know that Rich Sheridan that I talk about in a moment would agree with this. And I'll just save that. But this whole idea, group chemistry isn't luck. It's about sending super clear, continuous signals that your team, your group, we have a future. You have a voice on our team and you belong. You have this connection here. And it's more than words. Dan says words are noise. You got to pair words with action. Group performance depends on behavior that communicates one powerful overarching idea. We are safe and we are connected. The big idea number two, get vulnerable and stay vulnerable. Okay, so you know, Brene Brown would be supportive of that idea. Dan says strong cultures don't hide their weaknesses. They make a habit of sharing them so they can improve together. And in this section of the book, he goes deep into talking about uh, after action reviews, a process that was developed by the military. And a lot of organizations have now adopted that as a way they just look at what they did well or what didn't go so well and just be honest and vulnerable so they can improve. Then the third big idea is roadmap your story. It's not about nice sounding value statements. It's about flooding the zone with vivid narratives that continually emit like GPS signals, guiding your group towards its destination, toward its goal. He, he suggests being clear about your values and priorities. And you know that I believe values are essential, the cornerstone of creating dynamic culture. And then he talks about using shorthand and catchphrases that have a unique meaning to your group, to your team. There's some he shares, but I'm going to share two from folks you've heard on the Higher Purpose podcast. Uh, one of those is uh, Gary Ridge, CEO of the WD-40 company. The whole idea of learning moments, rebranding mistakes or or reframing mistakes as learning moments allows people in their company to bring those forward rather than hide them. And then Rich Sheridan that I'll talk about in a moment, I love this phrase that they use at Menlo Innovations. Let's run the experiment. Let's run the experiment. And that has a whole bit of culture packed into that for those teams. Final thing I'll share from the culture code is just a little uh, insight that Daniel shared. Group culture is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. We sense its presence 
and when it's absent. It can be measured. A strong culture increases net income 756% over 11 years, according to a Harvard study of more than 200 companies. So maybe getting on a culture journey of formation or reformation is something you're passionate about doing in 2019. So that's the book on culture. Now there are three books that I want to share on leadership with you. The first of those is Chief Joy Officer by Rich Sheridan. It's a follow-up to his original book, Joy, Inc., and it shows how to put the principles into practice. I love that Rich believes a leader's primary job is to pump fear out of the environment. You'll hear a little bit of that echoing when we get to hospitable leadership in just a moment. But back to Joy, Inc., the biggest takeaway for me of the whole book isn't really in the book, but it's just the story of the book. Small giants can have huge influence. By that, I mean Menlo Innovations is a company of just 50-something employees now. They're in expansion mode, so I'm not sure 50-watt, but 50-something employees. But the principles and practices they have attract people from all over the world. Fortune 500, Fortune 100 governments come to see what it is they're doing differently. You don't have to be big to have mighty influence. Remember that. So big ideas of the book. One, it's a whole lot about servant leadership in action. And there are two primary questions they use at Menlo. Number one question that every organization can answer is, whom do we serve? Number two question is, what does delight look like for them? Those are questions that just help you Find your story back to Bernadette and be different. Leadership is love, another big idea that Rich shares. To truly lead your people, you must first love them. And then there are a couple of chapters that unpack love in just a delightful way. Here are two quotations. Kindness may be the most valuable currency a leader has. Think about that. Kindness. And then the second one, as Rich is talking about love, talks about how people often mistake and misunderstand what we're talking about and thinking that it's always just warm, fuzzy, and, you know, soft. The question is, when it's time, when you have to practice tough love, how can you practice tough love without being harsh? And then at Menlo, they have this different approach to leadership. It's bossless in that there's not this strict hierarchy of bosses, but it's certainly not leaderless. Rich makes that distinction and teases it out some in the book. And then one other quotation from the book that I just love, you've heard me talk about this before if you've listened to the podcast. Rich says, if we get the definition of success right, leading becomes much easier. And you know, I believe it's important for you personally and as an organization to find and follow your definition of success. If not, you'll always be chasing someone else's definition. Second book of leadership, The Hospitable Leader by Terry Smith. This was episode 72 of the Higher Purpose podcast. This was just such a breath of fresh air for me, which is why I'm including this book in the list. I started reading the book at a very low point in modern American history. When shouting at those with whom you disagree was 
at some of its worst. This was in early October, October 6th. Saturday, October 6th was the day I started reading the book. That was the day when Judge Kavanaugh was up for confirmation as the justice of the Supreme Court. And oh my gosh, the weeks leading up to that saw such a polarization in our country. Wherever you fell or wherever you fall on the sides of the aisle, that's not what I'm talking about. It's that both sides were shouting. No one was sitting down having hospitable conversation with one another. And so I believe that the message of hospitable leaders is a topic that we need more now because of this polarization, not just in politics, but in the world at large. And the hospitable leader is a strategy for humanizing the workplace and being intentional about being hospitable. When you're hospitable, it greases the skids for everything else you're seeking to do and everything else that follows. The subtitle of Terry's book, The Hospitable Leader, the subtitle of the book, The Hospitable Leader, is creating environments, keyword, where people and dreams flourish. So if you really want to see people flourish, you invest in the environment. Remember what Rich Sheridan said, pump fear out of the atmosphere and fill it with love. In the book, Terry makes a statement that really caught my attention. People can tell whether or not you are planning for their arrival. There's just so much that that stirred so many memories in my mind of going into businesses and, you know, being there for an appointment and being greeted by the receptionist and asked, were they expecting you? Well, gosh, I hope so. Terry just talks about that if you really make preparation for people when they arrive, even if this is just a weekly meeting, show up prepared and engage people's hearts. And if you engage their hearts, you also get their head and their hands. Another example of where soft skills produce hard results, warm Welcoming environments, caring environments, just become an accelerant for everything else you're seeking to do. Hospitable leader. And if you're interested in the audiobook, you can go to, we'll include the link here in the show notes. There is an opportunity for listeners of the podcast to get it at half off if you're interested in doing that. Third and final book in the leadership realm is Dare to Lead. If you know me, you know I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, and she's also on my list of dream guests to host on this podcast. So Dare to Lead pulls together and operationalizes or puts into practice for leadership several of her books, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Braving the Wilderness. So their big ideas touch on vulnerability, courage, trust, culture, values. I'll plug the audiobook if you like audiobooks. Brene just goes off script a few times and adds some beautiful touches that just make the audiobook a treat. Let me hit some big ideas quickly here, and there are like four of them that I want to share. One, and you've heard this on several things that have other books belonging and connection. Belonging and connection. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Shame drives two tapes, that you're never good enough, and who do you think you are? And Brene 
goes into and unpacks where shame exists, empathy is almost always absent. And that's what makes shame so dangerous and makes the point that belonging and connection is what heals. Folks, we all have a longing for belonging. Under the banner of culture, Brene makes this statement, we need braver leaders and more courageous cultures. I couldn't agree more. And daring leaders must care for and be connected to the people they lead. Big idea that I love that she unpacks. Here's a statement I'll make, a quote from the book. If we want people to fully show up, to bring their whole selves, including their unarmored whole hearts, so that we can innovate, solve problems, and serve people, we have to be vigilant about creating a culture in which people feel safe, seen, heard, and respected. In the book, she does this beautiful job of unpacking values and how to operationalize them. And then she also adds a personal challenge to it that I love. She wrote, I realize that you don't really know who people are until you take the time to understand their values. A lot on love, including a letter from a colonel in the U.S. Air Force that goes into the United States Air Force's first manual on leadership that was written in 1948 and points out that there was this military document talking about leadership with mercy, kindness, belonging, and love. Yes, the word love was in the military leadership manual. Colonel Halfhill did a search for keywords and phrases, and here's what she found a discussion of feeling how soldiers, men would feel, airmen would feel, was referred to 147 times. The importance of creating a sense of belonging was mentioned 21 times. Love was brought up 13 times. Anyway, it's just a fascinating insight that a reader provides. And then there's just this thing that hit me really personally from Brene's book, and every book she's written strikes me in some way personally. She shares that in their original research on shame, 85% of the people they interviewed could recall a school incident from childhood that was so shaming that it changed how they thought of themselves as learners. I wonder if you've had one of those. I know I have. I've talked about them before here. She goes on. What makes this worse is that approximately half of those recollections were what I refer to as creativity scars. The research participants could point to a specific incident in which they were told or shown that they weren't good writers, artists, musicians, dancers, or something else creative. The shame tool used in these situations was almost always comparison. And this helps explain why the gremlins are so powerful when it comes to creativity and innovation and why comparison as a management tool stifles both. Hey, I want to tell you, if you have fought with one of those creativity scars, I want to invite you into a space where you find release from that. In 2019, I'll tell a story. I don't want to go into it now as part of a program I was a participant in back in April that was really a breakthrough moment for me with one of my creativity scars. I want to see you free of that too.
So that wraps up the leadership books. I've got three more that I want to go through pretty quickly here. The first one is The Abundance Loop by Juliana Park. This made two episodes of the Higher Purpose podcast, episode 63 and 64, The Abundance Loop. The diagram of the two loops is something I have shared so many times this year, and, and people, so many people have found this liberating. So there are two loops. The scarcity loop starts with fear at the top. Fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to poor choices. Poor choices produce negative outcomes. So if you look at those thinking of a clock at 12, 3, 6, and 9, fear is at the 12 o'clock position. Anxiety, 3 o'clock. Poor choices, 6 o'clock. Negative outcomes, 9 o'clock. That we get in this loop. When you start with fear, it produces anxiety, leads to poor choices, resulting in negative outcomes. As I was reading the book, I realized that this is true in my life, that every bad decision I've made came out of fear and anxiety. Well, how do you change that? And that's what Juliana really gets into the book and in the podcast conversation. The difference is, if you want a different outcome, start with gratitude. Gratitude produces peace of mind. Peace of mind leads to wise choices. Wise choices allow you to have positive outcomes. So it's just a powerful concept. Let me share a couple of other things from the book. Bottom line is you are enough, you have enough. Learn to be grateful for what you have, who you have in your life, and the goodness that you have, and that opens the door to more. One short thing I want to read from the book, a couple of sentences. Life is a series of nows, not laters. Waiting to be happy is essentially proclaiming that you are unhappy now. And the experience you feel in this present moment is what matters. Create a lifetime of happiness by relishing the abundance of now. Okay, the next book I want to talk about is short. It's a little book, one of the most profound books that I read this year and simple. Deep Listening by Oscar Trimboli. We talked about it on episode 57 of the Higher Purpose podcast. So I just want to share like three things. Big idea is we can all become better listeners and that the biggest productivity gained for you as a leader comes from listening more, not learning more. Say that again. The biggest productivity gain comes from listening more, not learning more. And the single greatest barrier that most of us have to listening is the conversation that's already going on in our mind. So learning to quiet that noise so that you can enter into the conversations around you, the conversation you're in at the moment, is essential. Oscar just talks about making space, breathing, and being in the moment. As you enter the room or as you're about to start a conversation, just pause for as little as 10 seconds and breathe and attune yourself to the conversation at hand. Another key insight, at least for me, was this 125-400 rule. Oscar talks about that the average person speaks at 125 words a minute. We can hear 400 words a minute. And we actually process or we think at 900 words a minute. So there are times in conversations that people get lost just because there was a little space in their mind, a quiet time, and they went somewhere in that gap. So Oscar had this tool that 
he just shared that when that happens, he makes a simple statement when he, you know, you can tell that somebody leaves the conversation. Just simply say, hey, I noticed something changed for you. Do you want to talk about it? And just create a safe space for them to come back in. There's so much good stuff, so many simple, practical things in this book that I heartily recommend deep listening because listening is relevant to every one of them and is an accelerator, a multiplier, if you will. Hey, and what a great segue to the last book that I want to introduce you to, and that is the book Multipliers by Liz Weissman. Liz has not yet been a guest on the podcast, but I believe she will be one day. Hey, this is an older book, been out a number of years, but somehow I missed it. And I was encouraged to read it to prepare for a uh, group program I was part of in Austin, Texas in April. And oh my gosh, as I read it, what a rich book built on a simple premise with a profound question at the heart of it. So here's the question. Do you want to be known as the genius, the smartest person in the room, or would you rather be known as the genius maker, the person who unleashes the brilliance of the people around you and allows them to come into their best and be their brightest and live their genius? Well, I hope I know how you answer that. The big idea of the book is that a multiplier can get twice the productivity from their team by making everyone else smarter. A diminisher is someone, a manager, who through their actions drains the energy of their team and creates an environment that's not productive. Now, here's the kicker out of this is that we all have the potential to act as a diminisher at one time or another. So it's a reminder that we all have to keep our ego in check and that we all want to be a multiplier, or I believe you're listening to this podcast because you want to be a multiplier and bring out the best in others. Well, there you have it. Those are the 10 books that inspired and encouraged me on my journey this year. I'm wondering, what of these books you've read? What are others that you would recommend listeners to the Higher Purpose Podcast read? So communicate that with me, Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. I've got a gift for you. If this book list has got you thinking about your plan for personal and professional development as you go into 2019, I've created a simple resource to help you develop your plan and a reading list. Email me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com and I'll be happy to share that with you. And if you're wanting to do a deep dive into a year-long transformational journey with a very small group, email me as well, Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. And let me know that you want to explore joining the journey. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. I look forward to continuing it with you. Hey, until next time, I want to encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. If you're a leader who is or wants to be entrusted with the transformation of your team, join Kevin and six other leaders for a year-long journey of transformation that will help you release your brilliance and help others to do the same. Email kevin at kevindmonroe.com to begin the application process.